0: Good morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning, and I am so glad that uh, we get to worship together. Um, today um, is obviously uh, the week before um, uh, Patrick Mahomes wins uh, yet another. <laughs> <laughs> yet another. Um, are we in disagreement? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm. I'm just saying. But uh, it is the week before the, uh, the Super Bowl, and um, again. Um, I hope you've um, picked your teams and hopefully withheld your bets. Um, the, the, the thing about it is, is that we are um, good to go in terms of not only our worship service um, today, but please um, pray, be praying um, because this afternoon, as Warren, Rika, Krista, uh, uh, Jared, uh, several others, Charmaine, have been doing something every uh, Thursday night to serve our Logan Square um, community. Um, with our book lot. Um, We are actually having our first gathering um, this afternoon um, there for them as well as an outreach to them. So please be praying for that. And again, if you have anybody in your mind or on your heart um, that... Uh, just had to work this morning, or were shaking something off from last night, and you know what I'm talking about. It's like that is another opportunity for them to come and meet the living God. Okay, so it's I'm going to be at our ministry center this evening. So, guys, today what we're doing is we're finishing, um, not finishing. What am I talking about? We're uh, we're actually, I'm finished. No, okay. <laughs> no, okay, we're continuing. We're continuing our series, which is actually called "Miracles Let Them Be Known." And today, what we're doing. Is we're talking about the miracle of Jesus walking on water. Jesus walking on water. And what we've been doing this series about miracles for is because we believe that God works miracles today by the power of the Holy Spirit, literally to bless people and to advance his kingdom and so in 2023 what we're doing is we're giving um, um, god the opportunity we're asking god to work miracles among us that he might show exactly who he is the king of glory and bring people into the eternal life that jesus purchased for them on the cross and so our focus statement today is going to be this that jesus is sovereign and performs miracles jesus is sovereign and performs miracles to bring his disciples through the chaos of the current corrupted creation in order that he might fulfill his mission and eventually inherit the new creation. I'll let you read that. It's a bit of a longer one. Jesus is sovereign and performs miracles to bring his disciples through the chaos of the current corrupted creation in order that they might fulfill his mission and eventually inherit the new creation. And so we are sojourners and we are passing through. Isn't that good news? We are passing through. No matter how many people are pursuing their best life now, it gets better when you're in God and ultimately when he brings his redemption to the earth. Amen? And so ultimately what we see today is only a foreshadowing of what's to come. Today is a representation of the world and creation marred and distorted and perverted by sin. But what we're going to see is ultimately Jesus coming to redeem those who have trusted in him, who look to him through the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, and ultimately bring restoration to all things when he makes his return. And so every one of the seven signs, every One of the seven miracles of Jesus as we've been going through them in the book of John are helping us go deeper into an understanding of who he is and what he's come to do in and through our lives. And so let's open to John 6 today talking about this particular instance of Jesus walking on water. Now some of the miracles of Jesus, some of the miracles of Jesus, when you look at them you would think to yourself, now was that one really necessary? Anybody at all (laughs) felt like that before? You know, I understand him driving out demons to set people free. I understand him opening blind eyes and opening deaf ears. I understand him doing a countless number of things, even raising the dead and giving the children back to their widowed parents, right? But I think that, like, sometimes I look at them and I'm like, was that just him showing off? Just him doing it because he could. And how many people know that Jesus is never showing off, but he is showing out? He's never showing off, but he is showing us exactly who he is and bringing us deeper into an understanding of who he is. And this is what he's doing in this particular miracle. So John chapter 6, let's read verses 16 through 21. I'll give you a little context of before and after. Then we'll come back around to our three points, okay? So first of all, it says this in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, three or four miles, rowing now, okay, not not, not driving, rowing. They're actually putting some effort into it, and this all became clear to me whenever I moved to Chicago and wasn't driving everywhere, gonna walking places. <laughs> anybody like me? You realize how the mileage actually adds up on your feet, okay? And so <clears throat> they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, "'It is I. Do not be afraid.'" Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So all of a sudden, this is one of those miracles of Jesus when we looking at the before and after context that leads us into understanding why he's actually choosing to perform this miracle. Again, for those of you who don't, aren't familiar with the gospel, aren't familiar with the Bible so much, we're just giving you a little context that, again, John was the author of this particular gospel. There were four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but this John was the disciple whom Jesus loved and was the one who wrote probably around 85 to 95 AD after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And the purpose of John's gospel, again, was clearly stated over and over again. Whenever we're looking at the miracles, we're coming back to the why of him showing his miraculous signs to the people. And again, it's John 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so there was a particular theologian who actually wrote this and actually was commenting on this particular passage, and he said this about it, that this brief statement, this brief statement can account for the primary theological features of John's gospel, It says the the author hopes Jesus signs as they are recorded in the book will produce or bolster the faith of its readers that Jesus is not only the Messiah, meaning coming to work out wrong things and make them right, right, to be the deliverer, but is actually the son of God, divinity. Divinity itself. So Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a good prophet. He is literally divinity, God in the flesh. And these signs are pointing to that fact over and over again. But he's the son of God and therefore can lead the lead um, reader to life. And so what we see is that when we're looking at Jesus walking on water, we have what we talked about last week of Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? And in that context, you probably remember, if you ever read the Old Testament before, the reference to God as Jehovah Jireh, my provider, right? How he literally meets our practical and everyday needs. So there was a crowd amassed, they only had two loaves, and two fish and five loaves of bread, and Jesus multiplied it to feed 5,000. He said, listen, I am the one who is the God over creation itself. I can touch what you can to me what the little you give to me and I can multiply it to meet those needs right so that was the before of this instance but what we see is that because people came to faith and started to believe it said when the people saw the sign that he had done they said this is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world that God had been talking about right so they saw once again another miracle that Jesus performed and they're like this has got to be the guy that Moses was talking about This has got to be the one that we were waiting for. And their response and their zeal, their response and their excitement was, let's make him king right now. Let's make him king right now. And they wanted to forcibly come and make Jesus king to overthrow that Roman government, to overthrow that oppression, and to ultimately see relief and deliverance for the people of God who'd been waiting for God. But it said in verse 15 that perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Interesting, right? Interesting, because you would have thought, if Jesus is showing up and doing all things, these things, it's ultimately so that he could get the honor that's due his name. But he says, there's got to be a proper time and procedure for every matter under the, under the sun. And I'm not going to let you put me in a place that, uh, according to your design, or according to your timetable, before I accomplish everything in the earth that I need to to save your lives. Jesus said, ultimately, I've got to go to the cross. I've got to go to the cross if I'm going to save you. I've got to rise from the dead to actually fulfill all the scripture that was prophesied about me for generations. I cannot have you make me king, though it might feel good to you in the moment to receive some sort of relief, right? And to find some sort of physical representation of deliverance. But Jesus withdrew and said, I'm going to the mountain by myself again. The crowd comes looking for him and realizing that he's no longer um, on that side of the sea. They head to Capernaum to seek him. Jesus then teaches of the bread of life and eternal life when they're on the other side. But, but, in the meantime, in the meantime, he has a lesson for the disciples to learn that he's not just the Messiah, he's not just a deliverer, but he's more than that. He is God in the flesh. And he was taking them deeper and deeper and deeper into their understanding. Not only was he the prophet who was to come into the world, but he's God in the flesh. And he would show them this through this particular example. So, so that's a little bit of context. But here's the, here's the main point. That Jesus, in this context of walking on water, is showing that he is Lord over the storm. That he is Lord over the storm in our lives, and brings us safely through the storm while transforming us in the process, in the midst of the storm. Jesus shows that he's Lord over the storm and transforms us in the storm as he brings us through it. So let's read John 6 again. We're circling back around. John 6, okay? Read it one more time with that context in mind with me, please, okay? When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. So, what is Jesus teaching us through this? I think there are at least three things. Number one, Jesus left his disciples to face the storm without him. That's number one. If you notice in that scripture, Jesus left the disciples in the storm to face it without him. Number two, number two, Jesus reveals his glory to the disciples in the storm. And then number three, we see that Jesus ultimately brings them safely through the chaos of the storm, transforming them in the midst of it okay now when we yes and so when we are when we are specifically looking at the storms in our lives as long as you are living in this world you are going to experience the product of sin has anybody ever dealt with the product of sin not because you committed it but because it was committed against you Has anybody ever dealt with sin or the products of sin because you yourself called it upon yourself and then it caused issues, a storm in your life that you produced on your own? Okay, yes, if you are in any type of relationship, have you ever misstepped? come on now have you ever misstepped said something you shouldn't have said it in a way you shouldn't have that was a little bit inconsiderate that you literally did not realize you were in a minefield but you were like boom boom, right and then it went off I've been there before and not only have I been there before people have been there unfortunately with me People have been there with me, not knowing my sensitivities, not knowing my history, not knowing all the baggage that I'm working through with God, and then all of a sudden a storm is created. And one of the early things that I learned to do when I was a Christian, because I came into the practical side of serving Jesus, is when storms literally rose up in my life, whether because of my own fault or because of the fault of others, I learned how to go to the Lord of the storm to calm those storms. Anybody with me? I learned how to literally not try to work things out myself, but I learned how to pray because I needed to. I said, this isn't getting better. This is getting worse the more I try to fix it. Anybody been there before? The more you spoke, the more you responded, the more you tried to offer your solutions in the midst of that particular instance, the worse it got. It's like you had an unknown can of gasoline and you were just pouring it everywhere on the fire. Anybody else? It's sort of like I literally tried to say, hey, listen, I did not mean that. Well, you should have known better. Fire, right? It's like burn, baby, burn. You know, it's so like all of a sudden. And listen, I'm not just talking about, listen, I'm not just talking about a marriage. I'm talking about with friends. Anybody ever literally had friends before that you had a beef with? And it's sort of like the more you did not talk to them, the more the accusations against them grew in your minds the more the accusations grew in your mind because the devil loves to exploit lack of relationship and lack of communication, right? And so you have all types of scenarios, all types of offenses that are rising up in your heart towards people and it's brewing in a storm. And I'm guilty of that all the time. Come on, B, isn't that true? B is my wife. She knows. Sometimes she's like, Rollin, zip it. Not because she doesn't love me, because it's like the more you talk about this, the worse it gets in your own heart. The storm is raging. You know know what I'm talking about? And it's sort of like, but as soon as I see the person with whom I had the offense, it's sort of like, oh, I'm like, oh, I love you. (laughs) Where have you been? Right? Because all of a sudden you feel different by proximity being different. And here's the thing about it. It's like Jesus deals with sin in our lives. He deals with the storms that rage as a product of sin, whether committed against you or coming through you, and shows that he's the Lord of glory in the midst of it. But sometimes when you're going through a storm, what we see is that like the disciples in this particular instance, it seems that Jesus isn't in the boat. (laughs) Anybody ever been there before? Where you were going through something that felt like Jesus wasn't in the midst of the scenario. He wasn't in the midst of the scenario. See, Jesus sent them along and he says, Listen, I'm going up on the mountain to pray. You guys go along, like across the sea, I'll meet you on the other side. And Jesus says, All of a sudden, there was a storm that started to rage and the disciples were rowing for at least nine hours. It was about three. Three in the morning at that point. And I don't know about you, but I don't get better, I get worse the later it gets. Right? When they used to have that old song, The Freaks Come Out at Night, right? I, I, I recognized that because I was like, The or later it got, the worse I got. Anybody say some stupid stuff whenever it gets late? Think about how the disciples are at this point <laughs> tired, frustrated, aggravated, and then a storm starts raging. But they're doing the very thing that Jesus had called them to do. Jesus told them to go across the other side, knowing that storm was coming. But he said, listen, in the midst of the storm, it may not seem like I'm there, but I've got my eye on you. What is it that God's called you to do? What is it that God's called you to do? And in the midst of his calling right now, you're tired, you're frustrated, you're aggravated. And it seems like the help that you want from God is not there because it's late, you've been doing it a long time, and it seems like he's not showing up. Anybody ever been there before? And all of a sudden, what happens is that fear is produced. Fear is produced. And it's not that Jesus was ignoring them, but Jesus was setting them up, setting them up to show them something greater about himself. And when he calls you to something, there are going to be times where you are rowing, where you are traveling, where you, it seems like you are trying to just get to the other side and Jesus isn't in, in your midst. But Jesus is ultimately going to say, I'm there and I'm going to show you how I show up even in the midst of trial if you would just wait for me and trust me. If you would just wait for me and trust me. And what we see is that all of a sudden, all, uh, throughout the watch of the night, between 3 and 6 a.m., the question begins to rise in their hearts, am I facing this alone? And for us, it's a question, has Jesus ever seemingly left you to face a storm alone? But the question is, answered with saying, whatever your specific situation, you may have felt perplexed, not understanding what Jesus was doing, or maybe you were disappointed because you expected him to do something he didn't do. And perhaps this has even been led to an anger and resentment in your heart towards God. An anger and resentment in your heart towards God. And as the storm goes on, this leads you to feel weary, depleted, and possibly hopeless. And the only reason that we're talking about this is because I hear it over and over again when circumstances do not work out as people want them to or expect them to. I don't know how many people I hear with the audacity in their mouth to talk about, I'm just angry with God. Anybody am I, am I ever say those things before in your heart? Come on, me. <laughs> I'm just mad at God. Or if a God were in front of me right now, I'm like, hold on now. No, 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 I'm serious. These, this is how people talk today. If God were with me right now, I'd give him peace of my mind. Well, brother, sister, he already knows what's on your mind. <laughs> And if he were in front of you right now, I don't think you'd be talking, puffing out your chest like that, right? God is holy. He's magnificent. He's awesome. But he allows us to go through storms, even seeming like he's not there, to show us, number one, what's in our heart, number two, what needs to be dealt with, and then number three, what he's going to do to show himself strong. My appeal to you is to recognize this and understand that Jesus reveals his glory to us as disciples in the storm and in the middle of their rowing the disciples looked up and saw Jesus walking on water and they were frightened the question is why were they frightened it seems like i have been doing this for a while I've been asking for God's help I've been asking for Jesus but all of a sudden I see some man walking on the water and all of a sudden their response was not yay Jesus is here they were scared <laughs> they were scared When God actually shows up in the way that he's going to, anybody ever get a little bit frightened? (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. I I had in my mind how we were going to get to the other side, but Jesus, you had another plan, and now you're showing up this way? I'm a little bit scared of where you're going to take me. Because I can at least remember, which I'm sure like the disciples did, Psalm 77, where it said this, when the water saw you, oh God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep, Trembled, The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Can you imagine them being on the water? And these nautical agents, I mean, they're, they're rowing and they're, all of a sudden this storm comes. Do you think they thought that God was possibly in it? That's a real question. Do you think that they thought that God was possibly in the storm that they were experiencing? Right, we usually don't, right? We usually don't. It's sort of like, this is chaos, I'm left to myself. But all of a sudden, they see this guy walking on water coming towards them. And then if this psalm came to mind, then all of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God wasn't absent from me. He might actually be in the middle of this storm. He might actually be in the middle of this trial. Has anybody experienced a trial before and said, it's all the devil. <laughs> devil, 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 I rebuke you. Get away from me, Satan. Satan. God's not going to require of any, anything of me that demands sacrifice. God's not going to require anything of me that demands patience. God's not going to demand anything of me that requires me faith beyond what I see. Get away from me, devil. But then Jesus starts walking on the water and says, oh, wait, hold on now. I'm in the midst of this. I'm in the midst of this to show you what's in you and bring out of you what needs to be dealt with. You get this? So they were afraid. They were like, wait a minute, God can require something of me that I previously was unwilling to give. Do you know that he uses circumstances to do that? The question is, what has he brought you into that's demanding some greater level of faith, trust, or obedience in him now than you had before? He came to them, and it was Jesus the Messiah That they'd been anticipating. But seeing him walk on water, they realized he was so much more. He is the one who the waters of the earth fear and submit to. He is the Holy One, the Lord of all creation. So you see, you've got to understand the Messiah was like the deliverer. Anybody read the book of Judges before? I've been in the book of Judges. And over and over again, when Israel ended up in sin, God would, in his loving kindness and discipline, turn them over. To oppressors for a period of time to discipline them in their sin. Anybody ever been turned over to something before because of your own sin? But then he raised up deliverers in the book of Judges when they cried out for help, and the deliverers would come to rescue them. They would save them from those oppressors. When they were looking at the Messiah, they were looking forward to the Messiah. The Messiah was going to be this type of deliverer. But what Jesus is showing by walking on water, he sees I'm more than just a deliverer. I'm God in the flesh who actually has power over creation itself. You understand the difference, he's taken it up a notch. I'm showing you that I'm God in the flesh who has power over creation itself and all creation itself submits to me. And when he said, it is I, it is I, it was a Greek word and in other contexts, this can be translated as I am. When he said it is I, he's saying I am. I'm bringing you into this to show you I am the great I am. I'm not just somebody coming along to give you suggestions. I'm not just a good counselor. I'm not just a good, another good bestseller that's going to help make your life better. I am that I am. So don't be afraid when you're in the midst of this storm. And when they heard this, he said, Say, he, they, you better believe that the people were remembering. Exodus 3.14, when God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said to them, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And by seeing Jesus walk on water and by hearing Jesus' words, they went from seeing him as the Messiah who would be Israel's prophet and king to the Messiah who is Israel's God. And this might not seem like a big deal to you, but it is especially true and especially important in this world in which we live today in which people are willing to call themselves spiritual but not necessarily Christian, right? Well, let me tell you something. Jesus said there is salvation in no other name. And there's no other name under heaven and earth by which we might be saved except the name of Jesus. Why? Because of not only who he is, but what he's done for us to bring reconciliation to almighty God. And what we see is that all of a sudden, Jesus revealed his glory to his disciples in the middle of the storm. And often, when we least expect it, he will reveal his glory to us in the storm as well. Just as his disciples had too small a view of who Jesus was and what he'd come to do, how often do we have too small a view of him? And so we expect him to act and behave in certain ways. And when he doesn't, we are confused, disappointed, and maybe even resentful but jesus never fails to show up in our storm and when he does he reveals himself to us in ways that we could have never imagined if we had stayed safely on the shore if we had stayed safely on the shore so meaning that god will bring us out onto the waters to reveal to us in a greater manner who he is do do you see that God will bring us into circumstances where it's beyond just page words on a page, meaning even the scripture that you read. How many of you have read familiar verses before, but if you are honest with yourself, don't know the reality of it in your everyday life? But God will bring you into the, out onto the water so that you might see him miraculously as he is. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He actually had a great sermon called Night and Jesus Not There. <laughs> Night and Jesus Not There. He said, so be of good cheer. So be of good cheer. For Jesus Christ will come to you even when it is all dark around you. And here is another word of cheer for you, namely, that when he does come, it will be in a way that will give you a higher sense of his glory than you ever had before. You have seen him on the land, but you have never yet seen him on the water. Well, you could not see him walking on the water unless you were on the water yourself, and you could not see Jesus Christ calming the storm unless there was a storm to be quieted. And if the wind did not blow, you could not tell whether he could control it. Trial is absolutely necessary in order to reveal to us some of the attributes of our gracious God. This was not an arbitrary miracle. It was not done in vain. He allowed it to bring us to a place where he would show us who he is. What is God showing you about himself today? What trial are you in the middle of today? What are you believing for that you're like, listen, I have no way to get there on my own, but if unless God himself shows up, I'm going to be stuck, and this storm might actually overtake me. Jesus says, I not only meet you there, I show you who I am there, And then number three, Jesus brings you safely through the chaos of the storm, transforming you in the midst of it. It said that when Jesus got into the boat, things changed. When Jesus got into the boat, things changed. And I mean, that's just simple, right? I love like theology, and this is a part of simple theology. When Jesus is in the boat, things change. (laughs) It's good theology, right? When Jesus is in the boat, you get where you need to go when you've been rowing by yourself, seemingly, on your own for what seems like days, months, and years, not getting to the destination that you even felt he called you to. But when Jesus shows up in the boat, things change. They were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going Now, they believed he is God, and when he gets in the boat, they were immediately brought through the chaos of the storm and are on land. Some interpret this as a second miracle, while others argue that the boat went immediately towards the shore, and it felt like no time passed at all. We don't know. All we know is they got there. (laughs) They got there. Truth be told, even when I've been through a trial for periods of time, and I've been through trials for years at a time, I'm just glad we got there. I don't care how we got there. I'm just glad we got there. Isn't that the truth? Come on now, if you've been pregnant before, I have not, but listen, my, like <laughs> if you've been pregnant before, it's sort of like, how many people know that you're just glad that the baby's there to get there? I've heard, I've heard that's true. Okay, <laughs> I've heard that's true. On their own, they were striving against the obstacles of the storm, but when God, the Holy One, the sovereign Lord of creation, got in the boat, they were brought through the chaos of the waves and safely to shore. Sometimes when Jesus reveals his glory to us in the storm, we're immediately delivered from the circumstances we're, we've been facing. But other times, deliverance is an immediate. And we must continue to go through the storm. But when Jesus is in our boat, there's a tranquility and expectant hope that carries us through the turbulent waters. Now, I don't want you to miss this point. In our generation, there are a whole lot of people who might have started off professing to be Christian, but over the course of time, through dialogue, trial and circumstance, and other events, they're no longer in the church or with God. Anybody know that? And somebody like that might have started off in the faith. But now they're they're gone. What happened? What happened? Let me say this to you. God is not interested in any one of you just praying a sinner's prayer. God is not interested in any one of you just being momentary disciples. God wants to complete the work that he started in you. And whether through trial, tribulation, disappointment, or things that are trying to shake your inevitable trust in humanity, much less God, he wants you to remain in him. Do you you understand what I'm saying? Has anyone ever been through something that challenged your faith? Challenged your confidence in God? Well, God is showing his miracle here to actually give them staying power. Don't forget that they had the experience of rowing for that potentially nine hours. But then Jesus showed up, showed himself to be present with them, showed himself to be God over the storm that they were experiencing, and then they got to the other side. How many people know that that changed their perspective on who God is and how God interacts with them through trials. That God is, in fact, not absent, but God is, in, like the scripture said, an ever present help in times of trouble. See, we don't like messages like this because nobody likes trouble. And that's natural. Nobody should be celebrating trouble, right? But the truth is, is that as long as we're in the fallen world, trouble will be part of life. But what do you do in the midst of that trouble? Do you throw off your faith or do you see God as a God of miracles who's not only present with you, but can bring you through them to the other side? See, the disciples, in seeing Jesus walk on water, they were able to understand him as that at that point. And saying, I may face things from this point forward, but I know that God is going to show up and not only show up, but be in control of the situation as I remain in him because I saw him walk on that water when there was chaos all around me. And so, when they go to the other side, and we see Jesus starting to teach with hard teachings. Remember, we talked about them before, but then we talked about the after. What happened when Jesus got to the other side? He started to talk crazy talk when he said things like, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part of me. Now, to the Jewish community, that sounded crazy. When I first read it, it sounded crazy. As a new believer, it's like, what is this, cannibalism? That's not what Jesus is talking about, right? He said, unless you receive my broken body and my spilled blood shed for you, you can't have any life in you. But how did they respond with that misunderstanding in the moment? It said they said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? I'm out. And though they had just been on the other side and seen the miracles that Jesus had done, feeding the 5,000, right? They were like, listen, Jesus is meeting all my needs. Then they get to the other side, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part of me. The very same people who saw those miracles were gone. And how many of us, Have seen the miracle power of God, but in times of testing, we're like the Israelites. Yeah, you brought me through the Red Sea, but now, you know what I mean? I'm tired of this manna. I'm tired of this quail. When am I getting to the promised land? And then you could be tempted to be gone just like them. What have you ever been challenged by God? And I'm saying, you know, you call yourself Christian, you call yourself a lover of God, but you're unwilling to give up your sexual morality. You call yourself a lover of God, but you're unwilling to give up your drunkenness. You call yourself a Christian, but you're unwilling to live as if your life is not your own. And he calls us to those things. Unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh. You can't have any part of me. And who are we? Are we like the, deci- the um, followers who saw the miracles and are ready to leave as soon as he challenges us in ways that we are unwilling to go with him? Or are we like those who met him in the boat? How did those who met him in the boat see him after that time? What did they say to him? Peter, responded to Jesus because Jesus saw all the people who saw the miracles leave him when he challenged them in areas that they were unwilling to give up. And he looked at Peter and he said, listen, do you want to go too? Talk about a membership drive. That's what God was having, a membership drive. You want to go? There's the door. I love you, but I want your all. I'm giving you my all. I want you all in return. And he asked Peter, do you want to go? And Simon Peter answered him. John 6, this is right after they came to the other side. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Why were they able to respond that way? Why were they able to respond that way? What was different about their response and the others who said, This is a hard teaching, who can accept it? What was the difference? The difference was Peter and those who were with him in the boat saw him in the storm. They met him in the storm. You see that? Let me tell you something, because of some of the stuff that we've been through, and I know that Jesus is the one who's brought us through it, you, I am like a dog on a bone. I may not have the strength day by day to be all, yeah, you know, but I'm telling you, you will not shake me from the living God. I cannot go anywhere else. I've seen the other side, and I'm like, where else am I supposed to go? He is the only hope, the only hope to this present life and the life to come. Tell me whatever you will. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. Where else am I supposed to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Let me tell you when that became crystallized. Over the past seven years of trial, when I said, There's nothing that I have in this world except you, God. You are the only hope of deliverance. And so, come what may now, I'm like, Where else am I supposed to go? You see that? That's what Peter and all those with him in the boat were able to experience because they saw the God of miracles in the trial. Will you allow him to do the same for you? That's the question. He wants you to have a saving faith. Last thoughts and we're done. We all have faced storms because we are all still living in a world that experiences the effects of sin. None of us is promised a storm-free life, but we can have confidence that Jesus will carry us through the storm while transforming us in the middle of the storm. And we have this confidence because on the cross, Jesus went through the cosmic storm of sin and death for us. And when he rose from the dead, proved that he had defeated the storm. He will not abandon us to any storm we face because he didn't abandon us to that storm. And when he returns, the Lord over the storm will bring an end to all storms as he brings the full redemption to his entire creation. The question, though, is, will you allow him to shape you in the storm? Will you allow him to give you an unshakable faith in the storm? You might feel like you're alone, but you're not. He's coming for you. We'll meet you there. We'll perform miracles. And th- by showing you who he is, show you that he's had you all the whole time through. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for every man and woman in here. And I thank you that you're giving them a faith. You're giving them a faith. Father, that's not just temporary, but unshakable. Father, that you're giving them a faith that shows them without a doubt that you meet them in the storms. That, you, God, you meet them. You meet them in their highs. God, you meet them in their lows. God, we know that you are more than just a deliverer. We know that you're more than a good teacher or prophet. We know that you're God in the flesh. And God, we pray that you would begin to help us relate to our times, our circumstances, as if you are the one who controls it all, the one who can speak and actually bring peace to our troubled hearts, troubled minds, and troubled lives. Father, the one who can literally deliver in an instant. But God, I'm asking that you would give every man and woman in here not only the peace, but the perspective to wait until they understand that you're in the boat. And they would cry out, cry out to know that you're in the boat and have been, even when they haven't seen you. And I pray, first of all, for encouragement. Is there anyone in here who says, you know what, I've been going through my own storm and I just need to know Jesus is in the boat. I just need to know Jesus is in the boat and Jesus is going to get me to the other side. I need divine encouragement to come, not only showing me who he is, but that he's able to do for me what I can't do for myself. Is there anyone in here like that? God, I pray that you would strengthen my brothers and sisters. Fill them with not only confidence, but a great faith great faith in what you're doing in the midst of the storm that they might actually be able to say we count it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that we might be mature and complete not lacking anything God help us to embrace that reality in Jesus name Amen